Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a look at some allegedly terrible comics and comics-related media. Today, we're discussing 2020's Batman Three Jokers, issues one to three, written by Jeff Johns with art by Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson. Uh, first of all, uh, glad to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. To active podcast duty. Um, today, we're doing something slightly different and covering something so uh, recent because usually we sort of uh, look sort of into the past for things. Don't want to pounce on the newest thing before the dust has settled. I we waited thirty years to cover Secret Wars two, so, but I think I think we should strike with the iron is hot with a pretty high profile story just released uh, this year. So Three Jokers is sort of the latest in the series of let's say conversations uh, that Jeff Johns has been having with the work of comics legend Alan Moore a man who probably needs no introduction to anyone who was bothering to listen to this podcast. Uh, when Jeff Johns rev uh, revived the Hal Jordan version of Green Lantern, he expanded on a bunch of concepts that Alan Moore had come up with a few decades earlier writing Green Lantern Corps backup stories, um, probably most prominently so in the eight-month Blackest Night epic in 2009 to 2010. Moore, of course, has various grievances against DC Comics, I would argue pretty legitimate grievances stemming from ownership conflicts over his books Watchmen and V for Vendetta. So as you can imagine, he took a pretty dim view of DC revisiting his old ideas in a 2009 interview. He says, and I will spare you from my Alan Moore, Birmingham, bad accent. Uh, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> uh, I was noticing that DC seems to have based one of its latest crossovers in Green Lantern on a couple of eight-page stories that it did 25 or 30 years ago. I would have thought that would seem kind of desperate and humiliating uh, when I have said in interviews that it doesn't look like the American comic book industry has had an idea of its own in the past 20 to 30 years. I was just being mean. I didn't expect the company's concern to more or less say, yes, he's right. Uh, let's see if we can find another one of his stories from 30 years ago to turn into some spectacular saga. So one assumes that Jeff Johns read this or that he got at least the gist of um, kind of this Alan Moore burn. Uh, years pass. When it came time to do a hard reboot of the DC Universe as part of the New 52 initiative in two, uh, 2011, and for more information on that, check out our episode on Lobo from May of 2019, uh, Johns is one of the primary architects of that change. He wrote the Flashpoint miniseries that set up the relaunch, and wrote the Justice League, Green Lantern, and Aquaman number ones that spun out of that. Then in 2016, when DC walked back that change with DC Rebirth, uh, Jeff Johns spearheaded that too, seemingly blaming a lot of the less popular continuity changes in the story on cosmic interference from Watchmen's Dr. Manhattan. Uh, some critics at the time saw this as kind of a metatextual attack on the influence of Moore's work on the DC Universe since the, the 1980s, and possibly a sort of revenge for Moore's comments in that interview. Like, well, the old DC Universe you liked as a kid was just walking around minding its own business and all of a sudden mean old Dr. Manhattan showed up and tried to make everything more mature and realistic. From there, John launched a series called Doomsday Clock in 2017 that I don't think I'm being overly dismissive in describing as Justice League versus Watchmen that was intended to chart yet another new course for the DC Universe, but amidst delays and bad reviews, it was critically panned and the DC Universe has pretty much ignored whatever it was the series was supposed to do for the line. Uh, which brings us to Three Jokers here, very deliberately designed to act as, and even look like, a spiritual sequel to Moore's Batman the Killing Joke, 
right down to the use of a bunch of nine-panel grids and the extreme close-up Joker faces on the covers. Uh, Killing Joke is the critically acclaimed 1988 prestige book that was acclaimed for the uh, ways it focused on the psychological and thematic underpinnings of the Batman-Joker dynamic. Uh, probably most famous or notorious for ending the career of the Barbara Gordon Batgirl four decades after being paralyzed by the Joker, as well as being a possible origin for the Joker as a failed comedian whose pregnant wife was killed on the same day he became the Joker. A Killing Joke, incidentally, a book that Alan Moore himself has all but disowned as nothing more than a favor he did for a friend, artist Brian Bolland. Um, Three Jokers also has its roots in a 2015 Justice League story that Jeff Johns wrote, in which Batman plugged into the Mobius chair, a tool of Metron of the New Gods, that basically is sort of a repository for, you know, all the knowledge in the universe or whatever. Uh, naturally, the question that Batman asked it was, what is the Joker's true name? The answer was hidden from the reader, but it seemed to surprise Batman. He said, no, that's not possible. In a later issue, uh, Batman reveals that the chair told him there are actually three different Jokers. He says he doesn't know what that means yet, but he's going to find out. So remember that bit of exposition there. Um, ever since this revelation, Johns has been promising to explore this concept in a project called Three Jokers. Instead of the big mainstream DC Universe crossover event that some fans probably expected, um, it's a standalone release on DC's Black Label, uh, Mature Reader's Imprint, and it's been sort of quietly suggested that this may or may not even be in continuity, whatever continuity actually means for DC Comics at this point. Um, it's been a huge seller. Issue 1 sold over th uh, 300,000 copies, which is a hell of a lot in today's market, especially in the middle of everything going on in the world. And it's out in the collected edition now. Reviews have been um, split, I think is is fair. Just from what I've read, it seems to divide along the lines of like, do you already like or do you already dislike Jeff Johns' stuff going into this that will pretty much inform uh, how you see this latest project? Um, but we are going to get to the bottom of this and figure out what's going on with Three Jokers. So in issue one, we open on Thomas and Martha Wayne's tombstones. Suddenly, they're smashed as the Batmobile crashes into them and an injured, bleeding Batman steps out. So right away, I don't want to cast aspersions on someone who is seriously injured, but he has this huge estate and somehow he manages to crash into this tiny patch of it. Well, you know, it's like you have... Like, the one thing that I can't do when I drive home severely bleeding and injured is crash into my parents' graves. So, like, of course the thing that you do is crash into your, crash into your parents' graves. Um, he also yeah. just kind of leaves the Batmobile out there in the driveway, which is a little... I get, It's a spacious estate, I know, but, mm -hmm. you know, have a little decorum. Yeah, I mean, I, at this point, I think he'd be kind of used to driving around on the verge of death. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get some narration that says time heals all wounds if they don't kill you first which is sort of the thesis statement of this story spoilers or once bruce gets into the bat cave alfred promises to fix him and the tombstones and at that point we get a quick flashback showing that his most recent wound was from getting stabbed by the penguin's umbrella 
And then as Alfred is kind of patching up Bruce Wayne and his various injuries, we get a shot of Batman uh, getting scars over the years from various villains. And so we see that his back is completely covered in scars. And it sort of raised the question for me of why isn't Batman and like, why aren't most other non-Wolverine superheroes just constantly covered in scars based on their injuries? Yeah. seems like Spider-Man should be pretty, pretty banged up. Daredevil, certainly. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, Batman seems to have negotiated a not-in-the-face treaty with his rogues because a couple of big like identifying scars in his chin would really sort of mess up the old secret identity there. But yeah, thankfully they're like, they're keeping it to the torso. So that's, mm-hmm. that's good. Um, Knowing Jeff Johns, I strongly suspect that this scene is a reference to uh, 1983's Brave and the Bold number 197 by Alan Brenner and Joe Stanton. Um, this is in the, like an old uh, greatest Batman stories ever told collection and not just like some really random deep pull that I am imposing on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an Earth 2 story where Catwoman is treating a wound on Batman's back and is surprised by all the scar tissue and that's sort of like, yes, over the years, you, Batman accumulates a lot of uh, injuries. And Alex Ross also painted a popular image, I think, back in the 90s, actually showing the scars. So I think they're we're doing some, some Batman retrospective work here. Okay. So we get these, these scars, and then we get a bunch of panels showing him getting wounded by various members of his rogues gallery. But, of course, the last four or five are all Joker-related. So we get shots of the Joker injuring him in various ways. Next, we get a flashback to when Bruce was a kid and something bad happened to his parents. (laughs) So I went into this thinking, okay, showing a death of Thomas and Martha Wayne flashback, it's so hackneyed by now and overdone that there has to be some kind of twist coming, like maybe the, the killer is going to morph into Joker at the end or something to at least tie into the focus of the story, but... No, it's pretty much the standard death scene for the for the Waynes. Yeah, everybody wants to do the the pearls, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I mean, like it must be exhausting for Bruce Wayne because, like, apparently this is like supposed to be a flashback that he's having in the moment. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you think that we're sick of seeing this all the time? <laughs> apparently, every other night for him is like, oh, I remember that time. Yeah. Then on the news, Batman sees that the Joker has killed the last few members of the Moxon crime family, who apparently at one time were suspected of orchestrating the murders of the Waynes. And sort of a side tangent here, but I, I, I never really like stories where the Waynes' murder is tied up into some kind of larger conspiracy. Um, I don't know if you have any feelings about that. No, I, I agree. It's sort of like the Spider-Man origin too. Is that like that burglar is so like important? Like it's supposed to be like the randomness of crime, like capital C mm-hmm. crime. Right. And they have an actual like motivation. Is always sometimes uh, if I'm going to be pretentious, like it deva- it lessens the mythological impact. If mm-hmm. of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't on Jeff Johns. I don't. I think this is probably a yeah. plot point from another writer so this is more just a, a random gripe yeah the the, the moxon thing i think goes back to like the 50s which proves that mm-hmm. it's not a totally contemporary phenomenon for writers to just start like stapling on 
endless backstory complications <laughs> to to superhero origins. Definitely not. Yeah. So then we cut to Barbara Gordon, aka Batgirl, at the gym. She's on a treadmill running, and on the news, she sees that the Joker has apparently also killed a comedian. Uh, a comedian during a live stream just to make it contemporary and she's so angry about it that she breaks the treadmill that she's running on Um, and then one of the gym patrons uh, announces that she's broken another one which makes it sound like this is kind of a regular occurrence yeah she's uh, sort of an inconsiderate gym patron I guess if she's regularly breaking the (laughs) treadmills here Mm -hmm. probably doesn't wipe down after the, the weight bench either yeah. Um, every, everyone that I mentioned the sequence to thought like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like you you run so hard that you break the, the treadmill. Mm-hmm. But I did actually do some research on this and I found a fitness subreddit. And anecdotally, at least, uh, treadmills apparently have been known to break under prolonged usage under high speeds of like 12 miles per hour or so. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to, I was, yeah, because like when I read this, I'm like, this is stupid. She's mm-hmm. so angry that she breaks the trap. She runs so hard that she breaks the right. But apparently it does, it is like a normal, not normal, but like a high end wear and tear thing. So hmm. um, Jeff Johns, you've done either your homework or you got lucky here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just, way. It just goes to show you that this is a nerdy podcast about comics rather than like a show with jocks and <laughs> right. sports and such. Um, don't, don't be confused if that's what you came in here expecting. <laughs> I don't know how fitness equipment works, clearly. <laughs> I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so then we cut to the shower where we also see Batgirl slash Barbara's scars on her lower back and stomach, which link to the flashbacks from the killing joke where the Joker shot her and paralyzed her. Do you think that this sequence is being sexualized at all, or am I just being oversensitive? Because like Batman scars are like this. I got these in combat, and this was like a this is a mighty struggle and like emergency surgery. And mm-hmm. Batgirl gets like a shower scene in the it's kind of a lower back thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think that kind of assumes that Alfred patching up. Bruce Wayne is not a sexy scene. Which I, <laughs> that's which no, my, that's that's true. That's my that's my. My lack of perspective here. My my fan fiction would <laughs> would dispute, um, but yeah, I I initially had that thought too, and then I I actually went back to the panels of Batgirl. It looks like it was fairly restrained. I think it might just be that we're so used to anytime there's a shower scene of a female character in comics from from all that we read growing up that it's going to be objectifying and gross. Yeah. So I, I, I'm probably not the person to judge whether that whether that's <laughs> objectifying or not. But um, so then elsewhere we cut to the Red Hood, who is Jason Todd, the second Robin, at least in the old continuity. If you're not familiar, this was the Robin where the Joker, for many years, it was believed the Joker killed him, and then he got better somehow and is now a brutal vigilante so he's in the process of beating up some of the joker's thugs and he gets a news report on his helmet that the joker has killed a psychologist who has been interviewing arkham inmates 
and has written a previous best-selling book about the psychology of superheroes and supervillains. Um, so he's got the local news feed on while he's fighting people, which for me makes me think that at some point he's beating up thugs while listening to like a local mattress commercial. <laughs> so I just find that find that kind of fun. Either that or like he's a, he's as addicted to the twenty four hour news cycle as the rest of us are. He's like fighting Joker goons and he's like, did they certify results in Arizona yet? Mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta know as soon as that happens. Um, yep, yep. He's tapped in. <laughs> uh, one of the weird conceits of I don't know if this happens in other Red Hood appearances, but like when his under his red helmet mask thing, he also has like a kind of Robin Domino mask, mm-hmm. and just the idea that like. I doubled up on my masks is is funny to me. Like, yeah, there's it seems like a good idea. I mean, he's he's got layers to him. I would <laughs> right. say. Sorry, I apologize. These are, for that. <laughs> these are symbolic masks, Batman. Mm. Yeah, there's there's subtext here. <laughs> so we get a little bit of a description of the the book from the psychologist uh, as delivered by the news announcer. And so uh, the announcer says, Dr. Huntoon's sequel, Bang Psychology, The Damaged Superman and Superwomen, was to look into the impact of superviolence on their psyches. He proposed that the endless trauma has, in his words, created a cycle of costume savagery between the, quote, good guys and the bad guys, leaving them virtually indistinguishable. So, yeah, I was... At that point, I was kind of breaking out my my yellow highlighter to kind of <laughs> underline the main theme of the story in case I was tested on it. Mm-hmm. Got the the notes in the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not exactly subtle, but lays it out there for you to, to kind of keep in mind going forward. At that point, the Red Hood is also having flashbacks to when he was the Robin and the Joker almost killed him with the crowbar. And there are some like visual references to uh, the 1988 Batman storyline of Death in the Family where the Joker beats Robin to death with a crowbar um, and also becomes Iran's UN representative because it was, it was a style of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and I have a very important question to ask as somebody who's who read that storyline but a while ago does the joker ever make a reference or a joke about the fact that he's beating up a robin with a crowbar <laughs> if if he i now i i can't remember that either but if 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 he didn't then jim starlin you really uh missed a trick there okay he's on uh, he's on notice is <laughs> may, mm-hmm. may or may not have uh, not written this as well as we would have. I, I we mean, should write. We should. We should. Go, we should go back and rewrite uh, Death in the Family. Yeah, just a little little punch up. <laughs> um, but aside from leaving horrible puns aside, uh, the Red Hood also calls some of the Joker's thugs assholes, which lets you know if we're reading the DC Comics Black Label imprint, not for little babies comics. Um. So you'll you'll be getting more of that. Yeah. Uh, in case it hasn't been clear yet, put the kids to bed mm-hmm. when you're listening to the, this podcast or on the radio or on the fireside because this is it's gonna get really dark and yes. uh, grown up. Um, I will say that like instead of 
so we have like a little bit of a flashback, but it sort of depends on you like already knowing this stuff. Um, I feel like instead of like having had that Wayne murder flashback, we could use a little bit more about what happened to Jason because continuity has changed so much that like I'm not even totally clear how he survived this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, it was like Superboy Prime from another from Earth Prime like punched the wall of continuity and it brought him back to life. And then at like some point, there was like oh he got dumped in a Lazarus pit that revived him. And like I just I actually don't know. And it's not like he was like beaten kind of badly and then everybody assumed that he was dead because there's a reference later about like you were dead and buried apparently mm-hmm. so it raises questions that i don't think you can there's a lot of stuff yeah. in comics that you can just sort of wave away but like if you're clinically dead i'm curious to know how you got not dead yeah yeah at th- this point i think even jeff johns doesn't really remember <laughs> right it's like uh, i'll just kind of focus on the you know, the actual murder and leave that part vague. But yeah, it would have been helpful because I, I couldn't remember. I had, yeah, I, I checked Wikipedia and I got like conflicting things. So it's, hmm. it's pretty, I mean, I think it's bad when like weird people who are conversing with this stuff and we're like, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Detective Bullock and Gort and Commissioner Gordon are trying to figure out how the Joker could have committed three crimes simultaneously at three different sites so you've got the the comedian that died you've got the uh the moxin gang and then uh you've got this uh, most recent psychologist being murdered so gordon proposes that there's one joker and two imposters who are helping him out they are currently at a crime scene at the old ace chemicals factory which is where the Joker was originally turned into the Joker um, back when he was going by the name the Red Hood, uh, just to make things a little more confusing. So there are three dead bodies there, and they've all been poisoned with the chemicals that turned Joker into Joker. Batman gets there and says they can't get any get any fingerprints off them because the, the chemicals will have bleached off their fingerprints. They can't get any dental records because the smiles have broken their jaws and they can't get any DNA off them because the chemicals will corrupt any DNA testing. Uh, This to me just seemed like kind of a really hand wavy moment (laughs) of like, here's a problem in the story, but we're going to just wave it off. And it's like, I don't think, I don't know that someone's jaw being broken like makes their dental records invalid or like yeah not useful uh maybe I'd, maybe someone can correct me but yeah uh, yeah uh, dentists or forensic dentists please email us at indefensiblanket gmail.com mm-hmm. um yeah but like at this point like what is this chemical exactly like <laughs> yeah the idea is that it's supposed to be sort of like a chemical byproduct but like this is clearly mutant juice if it's like mm-hmm. burning your DNA away and your fingerprints. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's some serious stuff. This um, is that stuff in RoboCop that the guy gets doused with and then like the he turns into like goo and the car <laughs> goes through him. Spoilers if you haven't seen RoboCop. Sorry. For the best part of RoboCop. <laughs> the best part. At least when you're 10 years old. Yep. Um 
Yeah, so or either that or Batman's just like he's not he's feeling kind of like it's gonna be a lazy night. He's like, eh, I don't want to really look into this stuff. Let's just <laughs> probably get doesn't even over. have fingerprints. <sighs> um, so Batman concludes these guys are probably homeless, and that they the three men were chosen to represent the three guys that were also there the night the red hood was turned into the joker i guess i don't know um he also concludes that their their bodies were left there to distract everybody from what's really important a missing truck the tire tracks of which can be seen nearby batgirl also arrives on the scene at that moment and she points out that the joker at all three of the killing sites wanted to be seen so leaving an eyewitness to the mob murders, having the uh, comedian murder live streamed or killing him on a live stream basically. And then looking directly into the security cameras at the Ace Chemicals murder site. So uh, he wants them to know that this is not something that could have been carried out by one Joker. Uh, The missing truck turns out to be carrying some chemicals in it. And Batman suspects it's the same chemicals that turn the Red Hood into the Joker. Suddenly, one of the three seemingly dead, Jokerized homeless people wakes up laughing and begging for help, and he's rushed to the, the hospital. Batman and Batgirl leave the scene. Um, kind of another weird sort of tangent, but it's kind of odd to call... Batgirl, Batgirl now instead of Batwoman in 2020, but there's another Batwoman, so she can't go by that that name. But it's it still feels weird. Yeah. So the the Red Hood, who uh, probably for clarity's sake, we'll just mainly call Jason Todd going forward, has snuck into the ambulance and starts to interrogate the laughing laughing victim while it drives to the hospital. Batman and Batgirl at that point notice that there's something wrong going on in the back of the ambulance. If uh, if that ambulance is a rockin', don't come a a bat knockin'. Uh, But they they ignore that very sensible advice, and (laughs) Batman swoops in to stop Red Hood from basically threatening and beating up this Joker victim. We then get a very long sequence of the tanker truck driving down some rural highway, and it slowly reveals to us that Joker is driving it. So I don't, okay, I don't want to be a grumpy old fan here, but I will anyway. Um, in the old days, you could save a lot of time and space by putting like a caption here of like a truck pulling up into a driveway and says the truck pulls into the driveway driven by the Joker. Mm-hmm. And like I realize that this is like we like to think that comics are more sophisticated now or whatever, but like Watchmen doesn't use narrative captions either or thought balloons, but it also doesn't spend three pages on like a truck driving around on a, <laughs> on a country road. I mean, like think of the years that Jason Fabok spent honing his craft, submitting portfolios, getting rejections and feedback and incorporating that and in like sort of honing his art the whole time thinking like, gee whiz, if I'm lucky, maybe one day I'll get to draw a three page sequence of a truck driving down the road for virtually no narrative significance. Mm-hmm. I, mean, they, I mean, these pages are like very exquisitely detailed and like they're 
beautifully oh, yeah. drawn and rendered, and they're like, they likely represent days, if not a week or more, of hard work. Yeah, and exceptional draftsmanship. Also, I can go, okay, trucks moving, skip it, <laughs> get to the get to the point. So mm-hmm. he will never get those days back. Yeah, I, I'm mad about this on his behalf. <laughs> I'm going to take my old man pills. Okay, settle down about this. But I just thought I just thought I noticed that like this is like a long sequence. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the truck is moving. Yeah. And it's like the big reveal is that the person who's driving the truck of Joker chemicals at the <laughs> murder site from the murder site where the Joker murdered somebody is the Joker. I had my money on the Riddler, but no. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been great. Um, so, yes, it is the or it is a Joker driving it to a rural cabin uh, wearing it. A trucker hat, appropriately. He meets another Joker at the door of the cabin, and this Joker is wearing a Hawaiian shirt, which I believe is the same clothing worn by the Joker in most of the Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when he shoots Barbara. Right. Um, so he's referred to as the comedian Joker a few times, and so there are going to be three ways to refer to these three Jokers, or I guess one. For each so three ways total and um this is the we'll, we'll call him the comedian joker going forward they refer to a third joker who is supposed to be sort of the boss of the three which we'll end up calling the criminal this is already confusing i mean <laughs> even beyond the, the red hood thing like having three people called the joker um what also makes it com- complicated is that like so the criminal joker is like a little more serious and doesn't smile all the time. And he's got kind of like a weird lip issue. Like there's scars or something. Uh, the comedian and the, and the clown are pretty functionally identical. I feel like in this story, except for what they're wearing in this scene. And then even later they'll be both, both be dressed in like more conventional Joker outfits. So like, yeah, even they don't seem to agree which is which because they're like, Oh, I did that. No, I did that. So like, if you're serious about three different Jokers and two are basically the same guy, I already don't think that we're using this premise to its fullest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If At some point they, they kind of point out the differences between them, but I don't think I really would have noticed if it wasn't for them explicitly saying this Joker is more X and Y and this Joker is more violent and so forth. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. So elsewhere, Batman... Batgirl and Jason Todd sort of uneasily agree to team up to take down the Joker and his apparent accomplices, despite Batman and Red Hood kind of getting into it about him um, beating up the Joker suspect. Meanwhile, the two other Jokers meet with their, quote, boss, the criminal, and he mentions something mysterious about trying to make a, quote, better Joker, and then mentions something about a casting call to to kind of find this Joker. Jason Todd then traces a clue that leads him, Batman, and Batgirl to the Gotham Aquarium. And while they're sort of going through the dark, um, Batman in this series has the uh, the yellow oval on his chest, and he sort of like lights it up like a flashlight. Um, so that I guess they're trying to sort of make the yellow oval like a functional uh, thing. What are, what are your thoughts on the yellow oval? Because I I <laughs> if nothing else in this series, I like that Batman has a yellow oval because that's how I grew up with him. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a, a yellow oval uh, stand to the end. <laughs> um, I like the Frank Miller explanation that it's supposed to 
draw people's attention there to aim at it because it's most yeah. armored. It just it just looks good though. Like that's the you really just need to come up with some justification for the fact that it looks really cool. Mm. So they find that the aquarium tanks have been filled with, or at least dosed with, Joker chemicals. And the fish and sharks all have Joker grins, which is uh, sort of a reference to the 1970s, was it, Joker fish storyline? Yeah. Some of the Joker's thugs then show up, including a court jester called Gaggy. Jason Todd pulls out his gun and shoots above Gaggy's head, breaking one of the tanks containing a Joker shark, which subsequently devours Gaggy whole. And Batman's surprisingly nonchalant about his former protege pulling out a gun and sort of murdering somebody by proxy. I, yeah. I don't know what his logic is there. Um, you know, shooting somebody directly and killing them is bad, but shooting something that leads to their death is is apparently okay. I mean, I, I, I thought that the in Batman Begins that the I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save you thing was... was illogical enough mm-hmm. and not philosophically airtight <laughs> this is this is pretty much just like guns don't kill people this shark can kill people so it's that's fine mm-hmm. what am, am i am i going to arrest the shark no good question <laughs> um so at that point the or a joker shows up and this is the clown joker they fight him each of them each of them taking a turn to kind of beat him up a little bit and get their get their revenge for various past grievances. Uh, Batman's the one to knock him down for good. At this point, Batman hears Commissioner Gordon and his squad have another Joker cornered. He plans to go to the scene, but tells Batgirl and Jason Todd to secure the first Joker they've taken down. Then Batgirl and Jason discuss whether the first Joker they've confronted is the real Joker. They mention that he hasn't used gaggy as a henchman for years and he also hasn't used poisoned fish or razor tipped playing cards in a while as well yeah so uh gaggy or alias gagsworth a gagsworthy according to the wiki they looked up does in fact come from an actual 1966 issue of batman so like this joker is theoretically like the silver age to like maybe through the 70s maybe early 80s joker mm-hmm guess there are also some like some pow zap references too in the the aesthetics of this joker so i guess they're trying to this is this is also the caesar romero joker i guess we're hmm. we're looking at which i'm not totally sure about that's a it's a theory on my part yeah yeah again, again it's like this really feels like the one one thing that kind of sets him up as that at the as that era's joker it's like yeah we get a little bit of differentiation but not much it would be helpful if they did draw him with like the Cesar Romero like mustache painted over with the the white grease like I would respect that yeah but <laughs> yeah or like the kind of the pointy hair sticking out on the sides is something I associate with that joker too I don't know if, yeah if that's uh, era specific but um at that point this joker starts trying to goad Jason Todd taunting him about the time he murdered him more or less when he was still robin and jason kind of 
snaps, points his gun at the Joker, and talks about breaking the endless cycle that they're in by killing the Joker. And Batgirl tries to stop him, throwing a batarang at him, but Jason Todd ends up shooting this Joker in the head. It's a good thing that DC Comics held off on killing the Joker until they got spares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very kind of practical, responsible use of their of their Jokers. Um, Jason Todd also... So once he shoots the Joker, he implies that Batgirl wanted him to as well, noting that she missed with her Batarang, trying to take out his gun and saying to her, when's the last time you miss? Frankly, so this, is, this, this ends the first issue. Frankly, I feel ripped off to have bought a comic called Three Jokers, and there's only two Jokers by the end of the first issue. Mm-hmm. Like if you had gone to see the movie Three Amigos, and 30 minutes into it, Steve Martin's character was kill, killed, you'd be like, this isn't what I bought a ticket for. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm mad, but we're, I, guess, I guess we'll we'll press on. Yeah, I release the the Snyder cut of Three Amigos. <laughs> so issue two begins with a scene in which the comedian Joker arrives to sort of a stereotypical idyllic suburban home. He says hello to his wife, or maybe in quotes, wife, because she's clearly supposed to be afraid and under duress possibly a hostage or a prisoner of some sort. Um, He has her bring down their son, Junior, who's also scared of the Joker and secretly asks his mom why they can't leave. As they sit down to dinner, we find out that this is a hallucination or a fantasy that the Joker is having and that he's actually in one of Gotham's many scenic abandoned warehouses, eating a tin of cat food with a mannequin and a teddy bear. So the scene is supposed to be sort of a fake out because you think like maybe he does have a hostage family in this Gotham suburb somewhere. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's a narrative cheat because, like, the the wife and the son have, like, their own little conversation away from the Joker. And it's like, in your theory of mind, do the hallucinations have an inner life when you're not there? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it just messed up. Like, that's how messed up the Joker is. That's like, even in his fantasy, his family is secretly talking about how much they hate him and want to, want to get away. But Yeah. He's... He's got a rich imagination, <laughs> and I think he's just committed to giving all of his hallucinations depth and kind of a life outside of their interactions with him. That's that's what I like to think. That's why he's the the best supervillain. Mm-hmm. Uh, the criminal Joker sort of shakes the comedian out of his fugue state and tells him to focus on Batman. The criminal says that letting Batman know about the three of the Jokers at the same time uh, was the comedian's idea. This is your idea that the three Jokers may not exactly be operating in perfect harmony. Um, At this point, we also get some gnarly close-ups of the dead Joker lying on the ground with his brains literally dripping out and like a couple of flies starting to land on him. This is what you, when you, when you sign up for Black Label for your mature storytelling, Mm -hmm. you want Joker brains and plenty of them. Yes. Batman, meanwhile, is at a crime scene. A judge named Walls has been exposed to Joker toxin and then subsequently attacked by his own dogs, who were also exposed to Joker toxin. There's sort of a scene of like Batman is like the dogs are after him, and then like the dogs stop barking, and like Batman has quote unquote sedated them. And I don't know if that's a Watchmen reference to Rorschach caving in the dog skulls with a meat cleaver, but um, I don't know. I was actually at that moment when I saw the 
dogs attacking him. I was like, are they going to show Batman beating up dogs? Cause that seems like kind of a, a no, no for, for a hero. So I was, gl- yeah. I was glad that we didn't get that scene. He says sedated, but we, you know, <laughs> d- sure. don't, don't worry about it. Kids. I, the, 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 he, he, he took the, the dogs in the Batmobile to a nice farm upstate. <laughs> 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 Plenty of room to, to run around. <laughs> Uh, Batman says that Judge Walls was a crooked judge who took bribes to send criminals to Arkham Asylum instead of conventional prisons, where security would be tighter. So this is sort of like the reason that Batman villains are always going to Arkham and escaping. Um, apparently, this is a new character. I checked to see if there's like a Judge Walls in like the Batman history and didn't find one. It seems like sort of an important plot point, but it never does come up again. Uh, we talked about this while reviewing Batman Cacophony in February. But part of the logic in the comics of, like, why Batman doesn't just kill the Joker is because, like, Batman believes in justice and, like, the criminal justice system and, like, mm-hmm. things, you know, working. Um, but apparently Batman knows that the system has been rigged his entire career and hasn't really been able to do anything about it. So that just seems a little irresponsible. There's no batarang for corruption. That's what I like to say. <laughs> uh, Batgirl shows up and says that she needs to talk to Batman. As they leave the crime scene, she reveals that uh, Jason has killed the Joker, or a Joker, and asks what they're going to do about it. Uh, Batman says, we're not going to do anything anything about it, because if they turned Jason in, he would unmask and blow all their secret identities. They have a little conversation about how the Joker hurt both Barbara and Jason, um, both the paralysis and the caving in of the skull. But Barbara got stronger while Jason didn't. Um, Basically, Barbara is asking Batman to take responsibility for this traumatized orphan that he had adopted, and Batman's reaction is pretty much like, uh, look, I guess I'll, you know, I'll I'll talk to him. Don't don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and, and Batman then says a line that really only makes sense in the context of a comic book in referring to Jason's death, which was, I'll never forgive myself for leaving him in that grave ever. (laughs) And I mean, it's like, I think you're okay with that. Bruce, like leaving somebody in a grave when they're presumably dead. Yeah. That's that's mostly that's, that's recommended. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not much uh, you could have done differently there. It Uh, could be worse. You could have had him cremated. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And also I think it does get into kind of icky territory with like, Barbara being traumatized and growing stronger because of that, which is kind of a problematic area, but yeah. But also uh, like being shot and paralyzed is perhaps less traumatic than actually apparently actually physically dying. So mm -hmm. it's a, yeah, this is not, this is not a conversation we ever have in any situation outside of comics about, is it worse to be, to be physically handicapped, or is it worse to be killed and then come back to life? Right, yeah. <laughs> but first they're headed to Blackgate Prison, because it turns out that the judge wasn't killed by the Joker toxin or his dogs. He was bludgeoned with a trophy, and that trophy has Joe Chill's fingerprints on them. Um, Joe Chill, of course, the guy that, in most canons, is the guy who murdered the Waynes. Um, on the way to Chill's cell, we get little cameos by Rupert Thorne, and Dr. Phosphorus for uh, fans like me of 70s Batman. 
And we also get another replay of the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. In case you forgot how they died since last issue or like any time in your entire life that you have seen that scene play out. When he gets to Chill's cell, he finds it empty and kicks down the door because he's, you know, kind of kind of bugging at that point. Uh, only for Batgirl to tell him that he's been moved to the medical wing of the prison. Probably something that she should have told Batman before he kicks in a jail cell door, which, you know, the taxpayers will have to fix. Mm. Yeah. As always, we get the bill when Batman goes nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's sort of a nice character beat where, like, Batman walks up to Joe Chill's cell and starts to talk to him, and he goes, you know, kind of like, you know who, <clears throat> you know who I am. Like, he's still sort of nervous to talk to the guy who killed his parents, and he still has flashbacks to every other night or so, apparently. Yeah. So uh, Joe Chill, they find out, um, has apparently terminal cancer and will be dead in weeks. Batman and Batgirl have a conversation about how obviously the Joker, or a Joker, planted those fingerprints to lead them to Blackgate. But at that moment, they're able to get a bead on the Red Hood's location, so they're going to skedaddle and deal with that now. Uh, Jason Todd is checking out an abandoned athletic spa because in an earlier scene, he identified, I guess, traces of pool cleaner on a Joker goon he was beating up. At first, I thought that meant the guy was huffing pool cleaner, but I'm not sure that that's... True, or that that's a reliable high, so kids don't huff pool cleaner. It might not even work, for all I know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he breaks in, and he finds an entire swimming pool full of dead, naked, or seemingly dead, naked, jokerized bodies. One of them comes to life and starts crawling towards Jason, which understandably freaks him out. Um, and then the surviving two jokers, the clown... No, not the clown. The, I'm already confused. The criminal and the comedian grab Jason. Uh, they strip him naked and tie him to a chair. They've painted a big smile in his red hood helmet and puts it back on his head. And they start beating him with a crowbar again. As they do this, the criminal Joker claims to be the original Joker, says that he used to run Gotham before Batman showed up. He also claims that it hurts when the Joker laughs, or at least when he does. I'm not sure if every Joker is supposed to hurt when they laugh. Uh, they ask Jason why he wears the red hood, considering that that's the symbol of the very person who killed him. Jason says it's a joke, which they sort of seem to appreciate, but not really. They suggest that Jason blames Batman for what happened to him and that he hates Batman, which I guess is fair. Uh, But most importantly, they say they're trying to build a better Joker and thought, like, you know, it would be a cool idea, like in a nice ironic twist, is for Jason to be the Joker because he is the Red Hood and then he becomes the Joker, just like the other Joker was the Red Hood and became the Joker. They thought there'd be some nice symmetry there. But apparently Jason Todd is not suitable because he's just kind of useless. Um, sorry, Jason stands. But <laughs> um, Batman and Batgirl break into the spa and look around. Suddenly that whole pool full of Joker victims comes to life and attacks them. So have you have you ever seen... Like, these are like Joker zombies, kind of. Mm-hmm. And like that seems new to me. I don't know if that's... If we've seen that in the the corpus before uh i don't think so at least uh as far as my batman knowledge goes but it is like they are like operating in sort of zombie logic of like they're seemingly dead and they come back to life and they just sort of uncontrollably attack you yeah and it's i think it's i don't know if it's 100 percent clear whether they're actually dead or like sort of in a death-like state but we'll kind of touch yeah. on that so as they're swarming over Batman and Batgirl, uh, they kind of, you know, jostle his belt, his utility belt or whatever. 
they accidentally trigger the call button for the Batmobile. The Batmobile comes crashing through the wall, pretty much plowing over the, the Joker zombies. In the, the big panel of this impact, the debris and the positions that the Joker zombies take when they're getting hit by the car sort of obscure any Joker penis you might have been hoping or fearing to get in this Black Label Mature Reader's book. So just remember that the there's also a, con- a controversy with the Black Label uh, Batman Damned book where you could sort of make out Bruce Wayne's penis right. in there and they had to like pulp that. So basically just know that like if you're going to work for Black Label, like bad language, okay, you can call bad guys assholes. Extreme gore, you can show the Joker's brain. That's fine. Willie's right out. Yep. Yeah. Don't want any of that in my Batman comic, apparently. It's the uh, the new comic code authority <laughs> guidelines right. for 2020. Right. Uh, so now that these innocent zombies, I guess, have all been crushed under Batman's death machine, he and Batgirl move on and find Jason, still bounded naked and wearing the helmet. Jason briefly confirms to Batman the existence of multiple Jokers who are, or at least say they are, trying to make a new one. And when Batman asks if he's all right, Jason flips out. He says he hates Batman, uh, blames Batman for putting him on this path to becoming this crazy vigilante, um, resents being replaced by Robin after Robin after his death, and finally says, you know, go ahead, just put me in jail. But Batgirl reaches out to him and says she wants to get him someplace safe. So they take him to Barbara's place where he sleeps it off. While he's sleeping, Batgirl again asks Batman, like, what are you going to do about Jason? And Batman's like, oh, I got to kind of get out there and check out some leads you know i don't really have not a good great time for this mm-hmm. um so this is this is like the ultimate sort of expression of like batman as like the deadbeat dad mm-hmm. i don't want to take any responsibility for my children and what they're doing back to jason he wakes up he looks around the room he sees that barbara still got the wheelchair still has the calendars with all her physical therapy appointments Checks out a book that she has on chronic pain management because it's mentioned that he has, because of whatever process that he used to come back to life, he's got constant like nerve pain and stuff. Um, so he checks out this book and he finds it helpful and he takes a shower. Uh, Batgirl comes back through an open window. He asks her why she holds on to all these painful reminders of what the Joker did to her. And she says that it helps her to focus on the positive, that she went through a tragedy that she was literally able to walk away from with the help of her friends and family. Jason points out that he never got that kind of help. Um, Barbara makes what I think is a a good point that they all thought he was dead. Again, going back to like, we wouldn't have left you in a grave if we Mm -hmm. knew that you were not dead. Um, She says that if they would have, if they had known, they would have been there for him. And Jason says that nobody has ever said that to him, which like, I'm not sure what is and is not canon and what isn't anymore with Jason comes back from the dead stories. But, like, if it's true that Batman never said this in all the years since he's come back, like, that's the least you could do is say, like, I'm sorry that you were murdered and then brought back to life and that we didn't know that you were brought back to life. Like, there's being with emotionally withholding mm-hmm. and there's, like, not telling your son, <laughs> like, telling your son that you didn't mean to leave him for dead. Yeah. Basically. I mean, I think like, Batman could be... You could defend him by saying, like, he kind of assumed that goes without saying, like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I guess it would. Like, I'm you know. glad you're not, <laughs> I'm glad your skull is not caved in anymore. <laughs> but sometimes you have to say those things out loud or it's just, you know, it never, never really sinks in for the other person. That's true. I, I, th- this is a good lesson for all of us. If, you're, if your son or daughter has their head caved in <laughs> by 
a maniacal clown and then through <laughs> possibly Superboy or Lazarus Pit antics comes back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just say a little something. It really yeah. it goes a long way. <laughs> that's my that's my we should excerpt that and make that like a PSA that runs on the radio. <laughs> so anyway, Jason and Barbara are kind of sharing a moment, bonding over their sort of shared trauma and stuff, and they kiss, which Barbara instantly regrets. I regretted it too, as I saw it. Um, she says that the Joker's still up there and they got work to do. So kind of pulling the old learn from the best, learn from Batman. I'm like, <laughs> hey, let's not deal with this right now. We got some stuff we got to do. Meanwhile, in the Batcave, uh, Batman is going through some pretty curious files. Uh, for the record, I can see that it makes sense that Batman retains a folder, as he does here, that says missing criminals. That's a very logical thing for Batman to maintain. Seems like maybe it should be on the computer, but like I guess Batman just hasn't fully transitioned to the paperless office. Uh, but there's another folder that he has that's marked Missing Clowns. <laughs> I realize that it is Gotham City, and like this is like the last place in the world where old-timey circuses still seem to occur regularly. But even so, I find this is like a weird category to maintain. And this, the Missing Clowns category seems to be almost as full <laughs> as the Missing Criminals category. So I, it's it's hard out there for a clown, I guess. Yeah, I I think he's just got like a certain degree of obsessive compulsive disorder, and so he's got like just missing gym owners and missing, <laughs> missing technical writers, <laughs> grocery store cashiers. <laughs> he doesn't have a folder that says missing comedians, which we I think are supposed to take as a sort of foreshadowing. Instead, he looks at a globe on his desk. And again, again, he doesn't pull up like a hologram or a back computer thing or Google Maps on his phone even. He's got like a physical globe like you would have in grade school. And he ponders Alaska. But the mystery of the 49th state will have to wait for now because someone has busted Joe Chill out of the prison infirmary. It's the comedian Joker. He is rocking a bulky 80s camcorder and he demands to know once and for all why Joe Chill killed the Waynes. So the third and final issue of the Three Jokers begins with a bunch of photographs of a bunch of dead people with Joker grins who are labeled with brief identifiers in the same way that the Three Jokers are identified as the comedian, the clown, and the criminal. So we get, say, the the painter, the city planner, the inventor, the stalker, and so forth. City planner Joker, really... <laughs> Really strikes fear into my heart. Like his mm. his zoning ordinances are insane. You do not want to get on the bad side, or like you will find there will be heavy industry heavy industry zoned around your house. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. So then, Batman, Jason, and Batgirl are so they're all looking at the photos laid out on the table, and Batman states that the Joker has been kidnapping people all around the city to try to create a better Joker, which. Uh, we knew from the Joker's conversations, but hadn't stated for the heroes. Batman states that, according to Jason, what they mean by a better Joker is a Joker who has an identity behind a smile. And apparently they've wanted Batman to know this plan as well for some reason. Jason and Batman get into another argument. Jason basically says he has the guts to do what Batman can't by killing one of the Joker's 
So we get a, another argument in a Batman story about whether Batman should kill the Joker. Again, I think you could you could maybe charitably read this as like meta commentary on how they're they're stuck in this cycle of going over the same events and debates over and over again. You could also just sort of end this by, I guess, having a shark eat the Joker, <laughs> and then that would that would all be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody has nobody has an ethical. Uh, opposition to that very true uh but no one brings up that that very salient point (laughs) batman reveals to jason that he has actually thought about killing the joker especially after what he did to jason and barbara Uh, but jason still isn't satisfied he says that the real reason batman doesn't want to turn jason in to the police for murdering the joker is that Having Barbara unmasked to testify will also eventually lead to Batman being forced to reveal his secret identity. So we're supposed to sort of feel like maybe this is Jason Todd being unfair, um, but he's right, right? Because like in the last issue, this is exactly what Bruce told to Barbara is like, well, you know, if you turn him in, you're going to have to unmask. Mm-hmm. I guess he left off the part about him being on the hook too, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, it does seem like all the points that you have to make about how Batman is being kind of a coward for not healing the Joker himself and letting basically like being sort of okay with Jason executing criminals is just sort of like, well, I don't want to get my hands dirty. Mm -hmm. And like, I guess I'll talk to you if you kill somebody and be like, you shouldn't really do that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. 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 He's uh, Jason's definitely scoring some, some points against, against Bruce in this, uh, debate so far uh, but however Batgirl ends up siding with Bruce and the, all three of them put aside their differences temporarily to focus on finding the Jokers again. Batman says that all the potential Jokers have died except for three. The criminal who he says uh, is more focused on their goal and less interested in theatrics which Batman says reminds me of our earliest confrontation. So I guess this is kind of really the old school Joker, the golden age Joker. Is that? Yeah. Kind of like a, they're, they're like the very early Joker stories are kind of like, he's like a scary criminal, you know, mm-hmm. just a straight up murderer. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the clown that we mentioned before, the kind of the silver age Joker. And then the comedian is the, modern killing joke and beyond joker with quote a sadistic streak stronger than the others but then so i'm just again with all our confusion about these most of these jokers being sort of interchangeable uh looking back at the first issue the clown joker suggests that he's the one who beat jason to death in death in the family so like it's you would you would assume that like the comedian the modern edgy joker would be the one that does all the worst stuff but like Mm -hmm. Apparently, the Joker from the Batman show is also the one who's caving in a child's head with a crowbar. Well, a, sure a that. man who wears face paint over a mustache is really capable of anything. So, I guess I, there's no no depths to the depravity that you're you're capable of. Uh, at that at that point, Batman s- speculates that one of these three is actually the original Joker, who then made the who then kind of created the other two. While Batgirl wonders if he made the other two to try to hide his true identity. Uh, I was a little confused by this because logically, wouldn't Batman just conclude that the earliest Joker is the real Joker? Like, 
are they implying that there was a real Joker who didn't do anything for a while, but he created a Joker to like commit crimes on his behalf, and then like he started up in the seventies for real? Yeah, I mean that's what's so. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this, but like what's so weird about this is that like because it's not like there's like three Jokers and they're like trading off over the years you know like Mm -hmm. it seems like there was one in you know in what would be the golden age there's one in the silver age there's a modern one yeah and they all just like the the last one just retires Mm -hmm. and like doesn't do anything and like so like it it would be pretty clear that like oh yeah the golden age one is the first one unless like the comedian joker was the first joker and then he made a joker and then like did not show up at all (laughs) For years, you know, mm-hmm. like this, this plant, this, I mean, this plant does not make any sense. I'm, 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 I'm spoiling my like conclusion or whatever, but like no, none of this makes any, any kind of logical, this is a dumb idea for a story. <laughs> I actually, I think, but we'll, we can continue. <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll hold off to the end because maybe it, everything is perfectly explained in the last, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe it, maybe it is. Two pages. So Batman apologizes at this point to Jason for failing him and offers to help him find a better path away from his Red Hood identity. Jason says no at this point, but admits that they still need to team up and focus on capturing the Jokers together. Batman hears an alarm on his computer from Blackgate Penitentiary. And he goes to the scene only to find Joe Chill is missing. Uh, He finds a bunch of letters there, all addressed but never mailed to Bruce Wayne. Meanwhile, Jason meets with Batgirl. He apologizes for killing the Joker and says he'll never do something like that again. Back to prison, Batman meets with a reverend who works there who tells him that Joe Chill changed and repented for his crime. Batman also finds that one of the letters is addressed to Batman himself rather than Bruce Wayne, and it's from the Joker. Inside are tickets to the Monarch Theater and the Mark of Zorro, uh, the, the movie that Batman, that Bruce saw with his parents the night that something bad happened, and there's a note from the Joker saying, with compliments. So the Bat family go to the theater, they each take a different entranceway into the building. Batgirl and Jason get attacked immediately by Joker zombies. And Jason, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, but he's just pledged not to kill anyone to Batgirl, but he immediately pulls out a gun and starts shooting the Joker, the Joker zombies, which I guess we're supposed to think there's no cure and that they're already functionally dead. But at the same time, Batman was trying to help that guy back in the first issue who ended up in the ambulance. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, it's pretty ambiguous. I mean, because like that first guy did sort of get better because he gave him like a antidote or something, and then like the next time they met a bunch of zombies, it was just like, well, the Batmobile ran him over. I guess that's <laughs> that's taking care of that. The, yeah, the attitude seems to be that like you must never kill the Joker if it's a Joker. Like, well. <laughs> I wish you would. I'm going to give you a, a Marge Simpson sort of, but mm-hmm. that's about the limit of what I'm going to I'm going to say. Yeah. Please don't kill Jokers, but if you have to, just make sure it's not the Joker who's important to me. Apparently, I, I, it seems to be really confirming the 
one of the Joker's idea that the Joker will matter more if he has an identity. So they're just kind of proving him right. Wow, yeah. Um, up on the, the theater's screen, they're, they're showing the, the recording of Joker with his camcorder held up to Joe Chill, getting him to confess why he shot Thomas and Martha Wayne. Simultaneously, the criminal Joker is lowering the ill chill into a vat of Joker chemicals. On screen, Joe Chill confesses that he wanted to kill the Waynes initially because he thought they're, he was jealous of them because they had everything and he had nothing. But later on, he realized or he found out they were good people and started to feel remorse and kind of repented. Meanwhile, the criminal Joker tells Batman that he's making a new Joker because, quote, I want to mean more to you, more to you than anyone. Right now, I am nothing but undefined chaos. I need to be more. I need to be everything to you. And he can do that. So there's a heavy implication here that this Joker knows Batman's secret identity. Um, I apologize for not going into a Mark Hamill style Joker (laughs) voice, which I... I think I could do pretty okay back when I was playing with the action figures back in in the day, but just uh, I think that's a skill that I've let atrophy. What are the, what, what's that service where you can uh, pay celebrities and they'll record a little message for you? Because I can, oh. I can <laughs> if we both pitch in, I can I can hire Mark Hamill. Okay. To read him for that to read that for us. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, could you not. just get him to read all of my parts for this episode? <laughs> I'll get I'll get Mark Hamill for you, and I'll get it for me. I'll get uh, Malcolm McDowell because I think he's a pretty okay. cool guy. Yeah. Uh, you know what? A, po- a podcast with Mark Hamlin and uh, Malcolm McDowell mm. would be much better than what you're <laughs> listening to right now. Ah, sigh. Sorry, sorry, guys. Um. So the the Joker says that the chemicals are going to likely restore Chill's health and vitality. So the comedian Joker the one from The Killing Joke, basically, gets the jump on Jason and shoots him in the shoulder. Barbara prevents the Joker from killing him, though, and smashes the camera from The Killing Joke in his face. Elsewhere, the criminal Joker drops a lighter into the vat of Joker chemicals, causing a huge explosion and fire to break out. Batman takes this Joker down and manages to save Joe Chill from falling into the chemicals. Batman and Joe Chill have a moment outside of the theater, asks him if Batman is there to kill him, and uh, Bruce says no. At this point, Chill apologizes for what he's done, and then thanks Batman for saving his life. And we get uh, kind of a, it's a slow, slowly paced scene as we're kind of waiting to see how Batman's going to react. Uh, but eventually he says, you're welcome. And this conversation is uh, it makes use of that nine-panel, seven, seven and eight-panel grid kind of layout that you were talking about where mm-hmm. everything's in close-up and we get the Batman just completely silhouetted so we can't really read his expressions. Uh, so I, I kind of thought that was a nice, interesting, dramatic sequence between the two of them. Um, yeah. At this point, the criminal Joker comes out of the theater to try to kill Batman and Joe Chill. 
but suddenly he's shot in the head. And I think it's meant to maybe fake us out and make us think that Jason has done it. But it turns out it's actually the comedian Joker who then surrenders to Batman. Batgirl and Jason are still waiting at the scene of the fire while Batman takes the Joker to Arkham. Batgirl tries to persuade Jason to give Bruce another chance to be more supportive towards him. Jason then asks whether the kiss before could be more than just a heat-of-the-moment type reaction, and she says she doesn't think so. Commissioner Gordon is also on the scene and tells Batgirl that while he supports her and Batman, he doesn't condone the Red Hood and thinks she should stay away from him, uh, which, as Batgirl's father, is, is kind of the, the worst thing you can say to like steer your, your child away from the bad boy. Um, yeah. The cool bad boy. But uh, also at this moment, Batgirl calls him dad, which... I guess is the first time that we see them uh, acknowledging each other's or we see her revealing her identity to him. Is that, is that right? Yeah. That's yeah. Cause like in, earlier in the series, Batman asks if he knows who she is and she says no. And now I guess he does. So this is like, this is sort of a big step. Okay. Seems like it should come up later, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, on the way to Arkham, Batman and the comedian Joker have a conversation. Joker reveals that he knows Batman's real identity, but that he won't tell anyone because it'll end their game. This Joker also criticizes the plan involving creating a better Joker. He says, this whole big idea of creating a better Joker? Well, that was lunacy now, wasn't it? A defined Joker? One with a name? An identity? Why, that ruins the very definition of me. That's why I regret making him, or does he regret making me? Um, and so this, to me, read like kind of an anticipation of possible criticisms of the story, like people yeah. going in thinking that Jeff Johns is going to give us the one true Joker identity. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't accept your preemptive apology, <laughs> a comedian Joker. I'm still gonna, I'm still, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna criticize this. So we have to talk about breaking the cycle between you and Jeff Johns afterwards. <laughs> we, we, this is this is another one of those podcasts that was secretly an intervention, isn't it? <laughs> um, but we'll get to that. Uh, Batman keeps asking Joker what his actual goal was. The Joker tells him, "You saved the man who killed Thomas and Martha Wayne." You saw the old, regretful, sad sack chills become. You felt his pain, and it gave relief to yours. I healed your greatest wound, so now I can be your greatest pain. And then he adds, I'll hurt you. I'll keep twisting that knife until the day we both die together. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm getting serious. I meant to do that. Vibes off the Joker here. Like, yeah, like we had, there were three Jokers, and like two of them are dead now. And uh, you're in a lot theoretically a lot better emotional place psychological place right now but um this is all step you know eight of my my master plan mm -hmm. i think that's like that's how you that's how you become like the joker or like any like serious master planning supervillain is to be like no all my failures are actually my i'm playing five-dimensional chess here mm -hmm. you are you are just lining up your eventually destruction by foiling all my plans yeah 
Yeah, well, as a comedian, I su- suppose he has some kind of improv <laughs> right. chops. So. Yes, and? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's trying to pitch Batman on that idea. <laughs> uh, then we get a scene of Bruce visiting Joe Chill on his deathbed and holding his hand while he dies. Finally, we get an epilogue to the story. Uh, Jason is leaving a note on Barbara's door saying he thinks that they could be good for one another. Uh, He tells her that he'd even give up his Red Hood identity for her if that's what she wants. The note on on the door, though, falls to the ground and is swept away by a janitor. Uh, The janitor's uniform, and this is kind of in small print, so I, I only noticed it by like zooming in on the panel, it reads fun time cleaners. Hmm. I mean, regardless of whether there is some Joker shenanigans going on here, I think that there should be a sound effect that goes womp womp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Definitely. gives his big emotional speech and like, oops. Yep. I, uh, so my question here is, is Jason Todd's arc in the story, Ralph Wiggum? Well, like, Lisa or Batgirl feels sorry for him, so she gives him the Valentine or kiss, and then now he's like, "Oh, a woman was nice to me. Is she my girlfriend now? I will, I will, yeah. I will give up my entire life for you if that's what you. If maybe you'll kiss me a second time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, he doesn't have really a lot of health healthy relationships to kind of compare this to. So, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's that out of the realm of possibility that that's how he views it. I guess he lost a lot of like normal teenage dating experience while he was dead question mark mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever is actually supposed to be his deal, which we don't know. Yeah. Meanwhile, we see a scene of Bruce and Alfred talking. Alfred says about the Joker. I wonder if we'll ever figure out who he, re- who he really is. At this point, Bruce says not to sound like people think I do, Alfred, but I'm Batman. I knew the Joker's name one week after we first met. It's then revealed that the Joker was the comedian. His wife was pregnant, and she feared for her and her baby's lives. The cops told the comedian that his wife died in an accident, uh, but secretly they had pulled enough money to send her to go live in Alaska and start a new life with the baby. We get some scenes of present-day Bruce outside of his house, uh, outside of their house, watching mother and son. Batman says, No one can ever know his name, Alfred, because if the world knows it, his family will never be alone. The press will find them. The Joker will find them. So yes, I know his name. But the Joker's name isn't what's important. It never has been. And that is the tale of the three Jokers. So this story has like a lot of big changes that seem like they would be very impactful for the character of Batman and the various other uh, Batman and ancillary characters. Uh, you got Batman knowing who the Joker is all along, uh, the Joker knowing Batman's true identity, the confirmation of the killing joke origin for the Joker, Batgirl revealing his her secret identity to her father, um, Joe forgiving Joe Chill and then Joe Chill dying. Uh, what do you what do you make of all of this? Like, do you think these are good changes or confirmations or 
for me, it feels like it really doesn't change much in terms of, I honestly, I thought Commissioner Gordon already knew Batgirl's identity. I mean, I don't think that it's going to change the Joker-Batman dynamic any, since Joker never cared about Batman's true identity. I mean, I do like the possible reconciliation with Joe Chill. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, like, I can be picky and be like, well, has that has it really never occurred to Batman in like however many years to maybe talk with a guy or whatever? But mm-hmm. like, I could, you know, I I can I can I, 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 for the sake of this, like, yeah, he's too nervous or whatever to talk to him or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I I do agree that like there's a lot of things that seem. It's set up like this is a big important story where like that like changes things, but it's also sort of, sort of designed to like not matter at all in some respects. Like, because I think it is sort of like that's what's what's so weird about this is that like this was set up in like a Justice League comic that was definitely part of like the monthly schedule, mm-hmm. and then it's paid off in like this story that's like maybe this is in continuity and maybe it's not, maybe it's not important. Yeah, so it's sort of like the reverse Killing Joke, where like Killing Joke was sort of not really meant to be in continuity, and then. Uh, writers picked up on Barbara Gordon being paralyzed and went forward with that. Mm-hmm. This was like, this was part, this was like the payoff for a Justice League story, but like maybe it doesn't matter for continuity. I don't know. Like the Batgirl thing seems like it would be important, but I also agree that like I didn't, I wasn't sure if he did know. So I mean, a lot, a lot of like the big changes here are like, oh, is that, is that new? I thought that was, <laughs> that was already a thing. Yeah. I I will say that I do, I do like that I am sort of sick of the Joker, you know, because of like all the exposure and the kind of like edge lord thing that's mm-hmm. cropped up around him. I do sort of like the idea of like a story that takes him down a peg or two, that the Joker thinks he's like this unknowable anonymous symbol of chaos, and Batman is like, no, I've known who he is since like week two. Yeah, I figure I figure this out, and I'm like, I'm not I'm not I'm not too worried about it. Mm-hmm. But so I like I like that part of it theoretically but um yeah i do think it doesn't really square with like not knowing about the whole three jokers thing because like in that in that setup in justice league he's like surprised that there's three jokers and he seems surprised here that there's three jokers Mm -hmm. but he also knows that like that one joker is the real joker right right like at, at at no point even though like you said like theoretically it seems like the criminal joker should have been the first one at no point do any of the other does that Joker or the clown Joker seem like they were like the real Joker? Yeah. The comedian Joker is like either the real Joker or like the best Joker and everybody else is expendable and they do get killed by the end of this. So we're sort of back to square one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do. And I'm, I'm sure there's like a hundred panels of the years that have Batman wondering about the Joker's identity that contradict what we've just been told. Um, which I mean, I I go back and forth about whether it's okay to kind of toss out that continuity for if you have like a really good reason. Um, like I know people complained a lot about in Dan Slot's Spider-Man run when Doc Ock takes over his body and like nobody recognizes that Spider-Man now talks like Doc Ock. <laughs> Or I was like, I was willing to go with that because I thought it created kind of new, interesting dynamics and situations for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know so much that this does. I mean, and it's also weird that like apparently he's never told anybody else 
about this. So like, I, I don't know that the logic of like, you can't tell people who the Joker is because then they'll find out his family. I'm not sure if that works. Cause like, that's not how witness protection works that mm-hmm. if you don't know, but whatever, like uh, leaving that aside, like it seems like if you're Batman, you're like, you're trusting your, your team with some, some pretty hardcore secrets. You could probably just let them know. Oh yeah. Like, don't worry about it. Cause like, I'm, I'm sure that like Batgirl, when she was just starting out, tried to like, guess, you know, score some brownie points by doing some homework. Maybe, maybe I could figure out who the Joker is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, Oh no, actually I, I, I knew I don't care. <laughs> We're, we're not we're not making a thing yeah even like alfred like he's never he's never told alfred and like here doesn't really have a reason to tell alfred he's just like oh, i'm tired of keeping this in mm-hmm. it's, it's been however many years uh yeah it seems like even just like you're always performing surgery in me on me it seems like in a delirium at some point i should have probably said yeah i mean i totally know who the joker is mm-hmm. he's this comedian guy we sent his family to alaska it's awesome yeah. So there is a sequel plan. Like, Johns and Fabok both have said, like, yeah, we're on board for doing another one. Hmm. Uh, do you think that any of this stuff would be interesting to follow up on? Like, whether or not this is in, like, you know, monthly DC Comics continuity or whatever. Like, whatever impact comes from this, would that be interesting to explore in Three Jokers 2 or One Joker? I guess. <laughs> whatever you would call it. Uh, three Jokers 2, One Joker. Um, I, I mean, I guess you can't, it seems weird to do a story where it teases us with the question, what if we knew the Joker's true identity and it was three guys? And then the answer at the end is the Joker's identity doesn't really matter. But then the next storyline is like, ah, just kidding. It really does matter. (laughs) Right. So I don't know what the next jumping off point would be aside from maybe his him going after his family yeah that's what i'm that's what i'm kind of concerned about is that like is the sequel like the son of the joker mm-hmm. and we try to make a 10 year old joker or whatever that kid is yeah but yeah like pretty much everything else in the story is like well we brought up we brought up the idea of there being multiple jokers there have been multiple jokers maybe um if it is true that there were multiple jokers and there aren't it doesn't really nothing <laughs> like nothing in the story actually really matters mm-hmm. aside from like joe chill is dead again which he already is sometimes in <laughs> various batman canons uh-huh and I, I mean it seems like actually like the, the biggest practical impact is commissioner gordon knows that his daughter is batgirl which yeah. is not even really the point of the story and it's just sort of like snuck in at the end there right like even their their relationship was not really much of this story, so it's just sort of yeah. like a little like poke thrown in there. But yeah, I yeah, it's this this is like a really weird. I'm not sure what the point of any of this was, and like it was a lot, right? It was mm-hmm. three, both in terms of yeah, like very like triple or double sized issues. It's an expensive you know story to go through. Mm-hmm. Without like realizing like nothing really is gonna change here, which I don't even think that's like a metatextual breaking the cycle thing. It's just like right. everything seems very important, but isn't. Speaking of metatextual stuff, like so that's sort of sort of the idea, and I assume like the original idea that got Jeff Johns' brain going is that like the Joker has changed over the years and like how he's portrayed in Batman comics. 
what if the, what if the reason for that was because there actually were like different jokers at different times mm-hmm. um do you think that idea is explored or expressed well in here again i think the fact that they're not differentiated enough um is kind of the the main problem it's like they never really stand out as their own thing and allow us to explore those different facets of the character yeah because it seems like that that clown joker like the 60s joker should be like i'm not gonna kill anybody mm-hmm. i'm just gonna you know, i'm gonna i'm gonna commit a wacky playing card crime yeah and like but he's equally murderous as the other ones apparently right and maybe he's the one that beat jason todd to death so that's sort of odd but like the thing is that like the, the idea that like the joker has changed over the years and that's actually an in-text shift has been explored uh, by Grant Morrison mm-hmm. on a, on their Batman run and stuff. And like, that was more like the Joker is like David Bowie, where he's sort of always reinventing himself and like he changes from day to day. Yeah. Which I think makes a little more sense. And like, there are only three versions of the Joker. And so all of these things have to fit into like one of these three buckets versus yeah. the Morrison approach, which is like, everything is in canon. Don't worry about it. It's just because the Joker is that fractured or or chaotic or whatever but yeah i do i do think the the big problem is that you have three three versions of the joker basically all the same except one of them smiles less Mm -hmm. um even if killing joke joker had worn that like hawaiian shirt and hat all the time it would have been helpful for us when like actually just like trying to summarize the plot going through like which one is that Mm -hmm. this is his bow tie is a little different so i guess it's it's that one yeah they really need like uh, some kind of boy band identifiers or like one is like the the cute joker one is <laughs> right. the serious joker one is the romantic joker that kind of thing if one of the jokers had just had a goatee that would have cleared mm. up a lot of stuff uh-huh throughout throughout <laughs> this i mean for as much as this seems to be like it was pitched as like a uh, look at the joker's characterization throughout the years and as much as they're supposed to be like a deep meaning of like what the joker is and what he means yeah. ultimately i feel like this story is Man, wouldn't it be messed up if there were were three Jokers? Yeah. (laughs) But don't worry about it, because now there's only going to be one Joker again. But, like, it would have been messed up, right? Totes. Totes. Yeah, that's that's, that's basically, like, hey, bro. (laughs) You think one Joker is bad. Mm -hmm. How sick would it be if there were two more Jokers? We'll get rid of them, don't worry. But just, like, maybe there were two Jokers, and maybe there weren't. Right. Do you did you do you like uh, Jason Fabok's art? Um, I I will say that I I think the art, uh, if you like the sort of hyper detailed, dark and kind of gritty realistic style, it seems pretty strong throughout. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful to look at, and like even these these horrifying nightmarish covers, I like do find myself sort of like looking at like all the little lines and stuff, and being like, oh, that's a really nice. It, it, mm-hmm. It's compelling, you know. I think. Yeah, like apparently he did some work on Swamp Swamp Thing as well, so I could definitely see him doing horror comics and kind of bringing that sensibility. Mm-hmm. I sort of wish that, like, I mean, he's he does like a lot of stuff with like faces and expressions and stuff. I sort of wish like the characters had been called on to have more emotions, you know, like mm-hmm. every everybody's sort of like at a baseline emotional state of like concerned. Maybe a little angry, maybe a little worried. Yeah, they're all like <laughs> it's a very narrow 
wave band of emotions in there. Like no nobody is ever happy in here. Even the Joker mm-hmm. is like it hurts when I laugh. So yeah, yeah. I dislike the whole Barbara Gordon thing being used as like a romantic interest for Jason. This story is about like a lot of things and a, like not a whole lot of space is given to everything. But like part of it is about how Batman is a bad dad, right? Mm-hmm. And like Barbara is sort of like his symbolic child because he trained her and they're part of a unit. And she's a symbolic child trying to get her dad to take care of this other symbolic child that he's neglected. And I feel like it muddies the water to get it mixed up with like, oops, I kissed you and maybe I shouldn't have. Yeah, it's it's weird. And also, um, I don't know about the current continuity, but it seems like Batman's age has changed recently. Like, So I don't know if Barbara is early 20s and Batman's about 30. I think he was supposed to be 30-ish with the newest reboot. Or is he like closer to 40? Because then that would track more with kind of the parental figure dy- dynamics. Yeah, it's really not. I mean, that's that's always been like the problem with Batman is that like the Robins and Batgirls and stuff grow up. Because like at one point in the 70s, and I know the 70s doesn't really matter continuity wise anymore. But like at one point, Barbara was like a congresswoman. Mm-hmm. So she's like an adult adult, you know? Yeah. But, like, then, like, a couple of years ago, they had that Batgirl series where she was, like, I don't know if she was going to college or whatever, but she was, like, you know, like, it was kind of a a hipster He's, aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, and, and who, who knows how old Jason Todd is, <laughs> is supposed to be. Because, like, they, she, he was young. Like, if you look at when they were introduced, like, she was an adult and, like, he was still a kid. Right. So he would be younger unless coming back from the dead. Accelerate. This is this is where this this exercise is becoming <laughs> is becoming kind of silly, but like, even within the the logic of this of the story itself, I feel like the timeline is kind of messed up because so in the first issue it says uh, an eyewitness identified the killer as the Joker, seemingly continue his war, continuing his war of chaos against so-called organized crime, a war the Joker began when he first appeared in Gotham decades ago. Mm-hmm. So like that implies that like, the Joker has been or a Joker has been around for. If you're saying decades, it's like at least 20 years, right? Yeah. But then that can't be the comedian Joker because the comedian Joker has a son who's only like, if you look at issue three, he's like 10-ish or maybe 12-ish. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I don't understand, even within the logic of like ignoring 80 years of confusing Batman continuity, this book doesn't really tell you... And it's supposed to be leaving questions open, but, oh, I'm just, I'm rubbing my head here. Because <laughs> yeah. nothing can make sense unless everything was just totally made up by the new Joker, I think. Mm-hmm. Or the old Joker and the new Joker is just... But then, so was there a Joker beforehand? And <laughs> it's supposed to, I mean, I'm supposed to be asking these questions, mm-hmm. but I'm not, like, intrigued. I'm, like, annoyed. Right. So, yeah, are you are you are, are you are you did you like this at all? I was just frustrated, but I'm so I'm kind of a jerk. Here's the thing: <laughs> I do I didn't care for the central premise of the book for all the reasons you and I have covered, like the three jokers itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually did kind of like the dynamics between. Jason and Batman and Batgirl in terms of 
moving forward a little bit and maybe some reconciliation between Jason and Batman. Uh, I thought there was some actual pathos in some of those moments. And Mm -hmm. I think the Joe chill reconciliation I mentioned, if that was like, if we were to have a sequel series that like showed Batman, maybe doing a little bit better in terms of mental health because of that, uh, or just changing his worldview in some way. I I think that is an interesting idea and, and works pretty effectively at the end here. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, if, if I could see, like, really, if if this isn't in continuity or whatever and doesn't affect anything, it would be interesting to see like a totally radical, like, I want to totally rethink about how I do war on crime mm-hmm. thing going forward. Yeah. Uh, so I I did like those those dynamics. I think you could have just you could have had another Joker story or even a non Joker story that the kind of led to those same outcomes. Yeah, it, yeah, it does feel like maybe there's too many things trying to sort of compete for. It's trying very hard to be important. Mm-hmm. And so they have a couple of different directions that they're going in. Right. Yeah, yeah no, I, I thought I thought I thought some of those sequences were were pretty effective. I will concede that to Jeff Johns that like you did some good work here and I I too am going like Batman I'm going to try to rise above my my various fanboy resentments. <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to the uh, the Jeff Johns podcast you're going to be starting <laughs> in your spare time and kind of. I'm sure that's. But you know what? I'll I'll start from the beginning, and then that there'll be that that same issue of the Flash that bugged me 20 years ago, and I'll be like, nope, <laughs> screw this. Public enemy number one. <laughs> So now it's time for a classic Indefensible Inc. segment. Uh, I'll stick classic in quotation marks. I'll (laughs) let you be the judge of that. But uh, this is Cannon Fodder, where we look at some obscure and bizarre comics trivia. I guess we're, I think we last finished our epic battle uh, a few months ago, and you edged me out but i'm i've been i've, I've been i've been riding high this entire the entire back half of 2020 mm. on, yep. <laughs> on that. nothing nothing else has gotten you down because of that you've just like no good vibes all around um so i will start things off by asking you a question all right okay question one detective comics number 186 volume one is entitled the flying bat cave in it, the Batman builds a big flying machine emblazoned with the bat signal to fight crime from above. For what reason does he build this wonderful toy? A. Batman accidentally crashed the bat plane at an air show due to an errant weather balloon, and the Joker has taken a wager from criminal rival the Schemer that he can commit successful crimes by land, by air, and by sea. B. Criminals have kidnapped Robin and made Batman sign an agreement saying he won't set foot in Gotham for one week, which he gets around through his new flying machine and using an underwater batosphere to foil the crooks. C. A wizard named Fangin has put a curse on Batman, preventing him from returning to the city of his birth unless he rescues the wizard's daughter from a gang of time-traveling sky pirates. Or D. 
Alfred insists that the real Batcave be given a thorough cleaning, and Bruce loans him an army of robot janitors from a recent Wayne Industries exhibition. <laughs> hmm. I like the Sky Pirates and the Wizard and the time traveling. Mm-hmm. I wish, if we're, if we're going on what I wish <laughs> to be true, I wish I wish for that one. I'm going to go with the slightly more mundane uh, Joker and Schemer going by land, sea, and air. It was actually B. Criminals Ooh. kidnapped Robin and made Batman sign an agreement saying he won't set foot in Gotham for one week. That is that that is that Silver Age Batman always like very very principled. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you sign the agreement with people who have kidnapped your adopted son, yeah, you got you got to you got to abide by that. Mm-hmm. Okay, my first question for you is: We've just discussed a very serious and violent story featuring the Joker. Um, however, this edgy mass murdering psychopath was once employed to sell host his fruit pies to children. As were many comic characters in the 1970s and early 80s. In one such advertisement, The Cornered Clown, the police have surrounded the Joker in a building, and he attempts to use Host's fruit pies to effect an escape. How does he utilize the tender crust and real fruit filling against the cops? A. He throws the pies to the cops from the window, which distracts them so they let their guard down and he can escape. B. He gets his henchmen to dress up as Jokers to throw the cops off the trail, promising them each a pie if they go along with the charade. C, he threatens to dump Gotham City's entire supply of pies into Gotham Harbor unless he's given safe passage to escape. Or D, he bribes a federal judge with pies to let the Joker off the hook. (laughs) I am going to go for B just based on the possible connection of there being multiple joker imposters it was actually a ah. he throws the pies to the cops in the window which distracts them mm-hmm. um i will say that you'll be be relieved to hear that because crime does not pay the cops despite how very excited they are to have free hostage fruit pies they're not so distracted that distracted that they let him escape um once they've arrested him they ask the joker why he didn't keep any fruit pies for himself the joker says he doesn't like them to which the cops respond wow he is crazy <laughs> <laughs> nice classic classic that, that was also a very weird issue of GCPD when they adapted that <laughs> alright question two um, for those of you listening at home Fantastic Four foe Impossible Man is an extremely powerful intergalactic imp-like being who can alter reality at his will However, when he had children with the impossible woman, they couldn't ing- they couldn't agree on who should take the lead in raising the kids. And so they decided to settle it the way you do an intergalactic scavenger hunt. Which of the following comic book icons did the impossible man not try to steal to win the scavenger hunt? A. The Hulk's pants. B. The Silver Surfer's surfboard. C. The giant penny from the Batcave. Or D, Stan Lee. Ooh, those are, I, I could see all of those being like sort of like a a cheeky thing. I, you know what? I'm going to say the surfboard is the most normal one, so I'm going to say not that one. But the other, but the the pants and the penny and Stan Lee. You are correct. Ah oh, yes, yes. I worked through that 
Poirot style. <laughs> Engage the little gray cells. Mm-hmm. All right, so Batman number 66 from 1951. That's not a famous issue number that most comic fans have committed to memory, but it contains a story that's probably familiar to anyone who's ever spent time on the internet. Uh, the Joker's Comedy of Errors, or it is possibly better known, the story where the Joker says the word boner a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Joker commits a series of crimes based on historical boners, which we are, of course, meant to understand as a synonym for mistakes or errors, like the construction on the Leaning Tower of Pisa or the grounding of the USS Missouri. Because the Joker almost exclusively refers to these mistakes and errors as boners in the dialogue, it has made for some hilarious memes over the years. I'm going to read you four bits of boner dialogue. One of them is fake. The other three are actual examples from the issue. Which one of these is made up? Mm. A, they laugh at my boner, will they? I'll show them how many boners the Joker can make. B, Gotham will rue the day I mentioned the word boner. C, little does Batman suspect the biggest boner is yet to come. (laughs) Or D, you were so busy forcing me into a boner, you forgot you were committing one yourself. Oh, man. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure that this makes our podcast explicit because these are all... Synonyms for mistakes and errors. Yes, you. Uh, you. Uh, I hope um, Apple Podcasts is listening to that, and <laughs> it will uh, prevent any bans from occurring. I think so. I do. You, do, you, do you need the boner dialogue again? <laughs> I'm. I think I've got enough boners. Um, so I would say. I do know A for certain is his actual dialogue because I uh, I do remember posting that panel at some point when I was <laughs> a less mature young person um, a couple of years ago. And <laughs> I'm going to also say the most kind of normal, innocuous dialogue and go with B. The Rue the Day mentioned the word boner? Mm-hmm. Nope, Gotham will in fact rue the day that it mentioned the word boner. It was the uh, the biggest boner is yet to come, <laughs> which is okay. an invention of my own for future retellings of the story. You should uh, feel very proud. <laughs> I I should I, you know you know what I shouldn't, but I do. Feel proud. Well, well done. You actually have some listener mail for this, this is exciting. episode. Yeah. So this was submitted by, and hopefully I'm pronouncing the, the first name correctly, uh, Roz Sparks through our Facebook page. And so she was listening to your brother from another podcast episode in which she talked about the killing of Ben Parker and how it's strange that the crook who meets spider-man in midtown manhattan shows up in queens and just happens to kill uh uncle ben and the sort of the treasure explanation that he was searching for some kind of treasure is that accurate yep and so roz pointed us to this blog written by someone going by the name nathan summers 
called How Would You Fix? It's fanfix.wordpress.com. And it's not, not so much a fan theory as it is sort of a how to fix this storyline to make it more, uh, I guess, elegant would be one way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this proposed version, the the burglar is actually looking for Richard and May Parker's spy journals and notes and is uh, kind of casing the Parker house for a while. Uh, he also does some freelance armed robbery on the side and steals the gate receipts at the wrestling match. Uh, but then after seeing some spindly guy dismantle the wrestlers, he looks at the sign-in sheet and sees Peter Parker, Forest Hills listed, and kind of connects the notebooks and this Parker kid thinking that maybe the the journals have helped him develop some kind of super soldier serum or he and Uncle Ben have, have done that. So then he goes after the notebook and that's how he encounters Uncle Ben and ends up shooting him. So I know you have your own fixes for the Spider-Man origin story, especially the, I like the, the spiders, the encountering the spiders versus making the web slingers thing. You know what? Um, I, I want, I want that on my tombstone because that's the, okay. the thing that I'm most, pr- most proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but as someone who also dabbles with, with fixing the Spider-Man origin story, uh, what did you, what do you think about this? theory or this this proposal i mean i do that is elegant i think it i I like the idea that it seems like the spies might have access to the super soldier serum and does seem like maybe this kid has is full of super soldier serum because he's skinny Mm -hmm. it is um i i guess i guess the only my only thing would be like i always hate anything that mentions the fact that peter parker's parents were were spies mm-hmm. you know because that's like the that's like that's like a weird thing that even stanley was like yeah maybe maybe we just won't mention that again yeah but i do no i do think i do think that's that's a that's a pretty elegant fix if you if you're working with what the text has has given you and you can only make some some minor alterations then i i think that's uh, that's definitely better than than hidden treasure <laughs> yeah i mean as much as I dislike the spy thing, anytime you you invoke the words hidden treasure, mm-hmm. and it's not like a pirate story, yeah, it's sort of, it's sort, of, it's sort of hard to get past. But the real treasure were the okay. I won't get there. <laughs> no, actually, you know, so I hadn't read this before, mm-hmm. um, but I am familiar with this this blog, the the fanfix.wordpress blog, mm-hmm. and in fact. If you search on that very blog, you will find a guest post by a man who goes by the name of Justin Zyduck. <gasps> wow, <laughs> I was no, I was I was surprised that you brought this up too because no, I I had um, I I sort of like I knew this blog from like a back when I was blogging. Mm-hmm. It was like a blog of a blog, you know, like a, the the friend of a th- friend thing, but like yeah. a blogger of a blogger. And I had, had contributed something about uh, the Fantastic Four rocket and why. Uh, the hell Johnny and Sue were on that. <laughs> I was but no, that was this was a this was a really, yeah. It's 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 weird when like things on the internet 
catch up with you at random, but mm-hmm. I am I am super psyched that we got that we got listener mail. Yes, and I apologize for taking about two and a half weeks to respond because I was not maintaining the Facebook page well, uh, and I think Roz got an automated kind of message being like, "Thank you for your comment," but. <laughs> We actually re- read those things, so thanks for that. On that note, I will mention that you can get in touch with us, and we do listen <laughs> mm-hmm. on uh, Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, we're at Indefensible Inc. or Indefensible Inc. or all the things that would logically lead you to those on various platforms. Um, if you like the podcast, subscribe on your podcasting app of choice or write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Email us at indefensibleinc at gmail.com. Hit us up if there's something you think that we should be reviewing, uh, whether it's comics or movies or television shows or anything that's you don't want to read or listen to or watch yourself because <laughs> we're, we're taking the hit on that. Um, I hope that we saved people today from if they were unsure about whether to take the, you know, $21 plunge or whatever it is to get all the all the three Jokers material. I hope mm-hmm. that we gave you enough to make an informed a consumer decision. Yes, that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, this actually is a Consumer Reports podcast. I'm sorry if we haven't really been making that that clear up front. Mm-hmm. It was because everybody everybody else thought it was a a, a sports and gym equipment podcast. Yeah. <laughs> actually, you know what? We can, we can combine those and fight, figure out which is the best treadmill that won't <laughs> break if you run at it run on it at 12 miles an hour for an extended period of time. Yeah. Now that I've cleverly made everything wrap up in a circular fashion, because of my improv skills, apparently, I will just say uh, thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, I have been Justin Zydok. And I've been Ryan McClure. And have a good night. Bye. Bye.